John. And this is Sean. And this is Movie Night with Sean and John. (laughs) (laughs) Check, check. Hey, hey, hey. All right, we're back. This is John. And this is Sean. And this is Movie Night with John. (laughs) Drinking a little hoppadilla here. What do you got? I've got mm-hmm. a gas station Michelob <laughs> The usual. We're back to our old ways. Um, yeah, it's just me and you tonight. No guests. Nope. Uh, but yeah, we did want to say quick uh, thank you, because some of y'all are still listening, which is cool. And I think we're still just doing this solely for fun, so like anyone that listens to me is still like really awesome. And we just <laughs> crossed uh, a thousand streams across all platforms. Um, and now the show is on like Spotify and Apple podcasts yeah. and all that stuff. Um, so yeah, keep, keep staying tuned in and we'll keep doing the movie reviews thing. I guess given that we've put like $0 into a promotion or anything, of the, anything of the sort. Yeah. It is kind of impressive. Yeah. Right. I feel like it's a little <laughs> milestone for our little show. So yeah. Thank y'all for listening. Yeah. Oh yeah. What did you want to get to after that? Uh, we are <laughs> already. <laughs> We're coming from Third Coast, and yeah, yeah, we yeah. keep forgetting to say that, but... You're right. So, we're recording at my studio, Third Coast Recording Company. Um, yeah, hit us up anytime. We're in the East End. Follow on Instagram. Yeah, and then follow us on Instagram. Yeah, Movie Night with John and Sean. Boom. If you want to see uh, movie memes, or just want to see our daily thoughts on <laughs> <laughs> yeah. movie announcements or whatever. we're keeping up on there a little bit more, and I want to start putting some little reviews on there as well. Yeah, some like kind of mini review stuff we don't have time for during the show, we kind of just throw up there. So, uh, And then I think we should just say it out loud so that we fully commit. We should do some giveaways, and we oh, might have yeah. stickers soon, because we've yeah. been batting that idea around as well. So I'm just going to say it, and then the universe hopefully will yeah. will it into existence. <laughs> All right, so we're catching up today on... Um, we're going to do a little Midsommar recap, but first, we're going to talk about some movies that kind of you think, like you mentioned, inspired uh, Midsummer. Right. So uh, I, I, I guess sort of forced this on you, but I no, feel it like fun. it's important uh, in watching Midsummer take a step back and look at a couple of classics, one in a good way and one in a bad <laughs> way. <laughs> but uh, we're going to talk about Wicker Man, nineteen seventy three, the cult, cult classic, and then Wicker Man two thousand six, the yeah. Nick Cage travesty disaster. Um. Both are kind of similar in subject matter, and uh, I, I think they both kind of tie in with uh, thematically with what uh, Midsummer was about. I agree, and I actually really appreciated uh, taking a step back, pulling up the Rotten Tomatoes, and just seeing, um, yeah, what informed the movie's sensibility, and I think it was obvious in a lot of ways, but I actually think what Ari Aster does really well is he manages to kind of pay homage without being derivative you know right it's not a direct copy of it but it i feel like in watching both of these movies again uh, because i've seen both of them a few times i actually got like a newfound interest and a deeper respect for midsummer which i already liked yeah you know off the bat but i feel like it made me like it more I agree. Somehow, like, af- especially after seeing the Nick Cage version. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think, like, oh, it could have been so much worse. And actually, 
uh, maybe we didn't give it enough credit on the original review, but I want to get to that. Yeah. Um, let's start with Wicker Man. What is it, 73 you said? Yeah. Okay. So um, Robin Hardy directed this one. Uh, Christopher Lee is um, Lord Summerisle. Right. He's the uh, main antagonist. And this is... Uh this is marketed as the Citizen Kane of horror films. Yeah, you, you pitched me on that, and I was sold. <laughs> uh, man, this one was really good. And I feel like I had really no... Culturally, I understand, because I've just seen some memes of like Nick Cage being burned or, or whatever. With and the so, bees like, on his face yeah. or something. So I had some idea of like how this would all end up, but not having seen the original film, what it did really well for me... And we can just, I guess, just dive into it is the suspense, the element of suspense the whole time. It was definitely quirky, but it yeah. kept my interest enough and it kept kind of delving deeper into just this kind of eerie undertone that's there the whole time. But it just eventually develops into like a fever pitch. Right. And which is last... similar to Ari Aster's movie because there are right. elements to it that are almost like goofy uh on uh, your first viewing or right. when the idea is first introduced and then as the film develops you're like man this is actually like really uneasy feeling and creepy and what initially seemed silly is now the scary thing right they develop what he what what they did such a good job with in the original i think is they develop a world that the film takes place in that's just a little bit different than yours and there are rules that like govern this world and physics and stuff like that but like right. it's its own set and yeah. so in this world, it might be a little bit, uh, yeah, almost like humorous at times because you're just like, what the fuck is going on? You know right. what I mean? But like you eventually your your disbelief is kind of suspended and you just kind of give in because the movie so kind of just keeps pushing. It gets better and better. You kind of just give in over time. And you're like, yeah, I'm just down with whatever's going to happen. It seems like it's going to be interesting. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, uh, I guess, super quick overview. Yeah, set it up. Uh, Wicker Man 73 is about uh, Sergeant Howie, who's kind of a mainly, I think he's Scottish. He's a uh, detective. Okay. And he gets a letter that there's a missing girl on this island called Summer Isle. So, he flies over looking for this missing girl, Rowan Morrison. Right. And kind of starts picking up on, you know, some kind of weird things. Nobody seems to know what he's talking about. No one knows. They deny her existence outright. Right. They say she never existed. We right. never heard of this girl. And as Which it piques his interest and only further kind of pulls him in. Right. And to eventually the realization that it's a trap and it's a setup for something this. else. Right, right, right. So, uh, man, the the really interesting thing about this movie and rewatching it, this is probably like the fifth time I've watched it. This is only the first time I've seen it. I really enjoyed it. But yeah, as, as, you've seen it like well, five times. Yeah, what were we gonna say? But like, it so it has like a very limited setup. Like it starts where he's at church. You see him taking the <laughs> Eucharist or whatever. He's like a really devout Catholic, right? Right. And which is an important thematic piece in the whole movie, I think. Right, and it's just subtly kind of put there. In the in the initial setup, and then once he gets to the island, he starts seeing these like conflicting World cultural views. things, yeah. right? And it that's what's really driving him. Not really finding the missing girl, that's almost kind of now on the back burner. It's these people are like savages or heathens or whatever, and they're not living, you know, by According, my strict yeah. moral code. And like that's almost the driving force, and that's ultimately what makes him like the fool and makes him like the pawn in their game, right? 
And ultimately, it's not really much of a secret. He gets, <laughs> spoiler alert, he gets put into a wicker man. It's the, and burned to death. Yeah, it's the cover of the movie. So, But what takes us there is the most interesting part by far. You know, right. like, to me, the story is really of this isolated, uh, in both cases, um, this both versions of this and Midsummer. It's it, the story is really about an isolated town or community, mm. and how differing worldviews might seem funny or like altogether terrifying, uh, depending on culturally like what you're used to. Yeah, that's what the 1973 version did really well. I think is that it's still very comparable to Midsummer. It's spelled out like that like you were saying this guy has very strict kind of uh religious catholic um idea of like morally how we should live and the way that these people live is completely contradictory to that idea and he's completely uncomfortable with the the whole time and that's what's kind of driving him mad like you said and then he just does things that any normal person you wouldn't continue down the path of what is obviously sinister Right. Unless you, you were leave. just so concerned with, he's concerned with like correcting it somehow, you know, yeah. which keeps him kind of like, like you were saying, just keeps him kind of digging deeper. But I think they did re- a really good job with, there's a theme to it. Right. It's not just like completely senseless, uh, as is the Nick Cage version. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Well, there's a buildup and there's a sacrifice, right? But I think what's interesting is like halfway through, there's almost like a switch. So at the beginning of the movie, you're more on the side of Sergeant Howie. You want to know what's going on. This doesn't seem right. These are kind of odd things. But the more he starts kind of like pestering the local people and digging into their beliefs and saying they're not right, I'm right. You have no God. I, wh- where's your Christian God? Right. Where's your church? Right. All these things, you start realizing, like, this guy's kind of a dick. Yeah. He's going to somewhere that he wasn't really invited to, that he's not part of this culture, and he's just telling everybody they're wrong. Right. right? My way is right. Your way is wrong. Yeah. And I think that's ultimately what the, the that's moral of the story his, is. Yeah, I mean, to his end, you know. Yeah, he, and when Christopher, when he finally confronts Christopher <laughs> Lee, who's amazing in this movie, um, yeah. I think Christopher Lee, like, went on record saying, like, this was his proudest achievement as an actor. Which is incredible. Because yeah, because he's been in everything. <laughs> it's a long and, like, really storied career. Right, but he said it was, like, his, uh, his favorite project that he worked on. But when he finally uh, confronts Christopher Lee, Lord Summer Isle, who's in charge of the island, it's kind of... Christopher Lee that says like you know this is our culture like right. our our ancestors came here to like you know settle and to grow crops and to do this and like you coming here trying to say that we're wrong isn't isn't right you're the wrong one and, <laughs> and he actually becomes like I guess Sergeant Howie's the fool he's the pawn in their larger conspiracy right. and they use him to sacrifice for their next season of crops right. so you almost there's a switch halfway and then you start kind of... That's interesting of, that you see it from that perspective. I feel like I don't know that I ever fully... You weren't on board with Christopher Lee, like, at any point? I don't know that I ever fully committed to, like, a side in it, you know? it's For me, it was more like an observation. Definitely at first, I was like, well, there's something sinister happening with these townspeople. Right. What, yeah, hopefully the detective can find this girl or whatever. And then eventually, yeah. But eventually, it definitely does switch to where I think you're right, that you empathize more with 
the townspeople and that they have their own set of beliefs. You have your own set of beliefs and who are you to assume so much as to like come here and try to give them what for about like what they believe or whatever. Right. Uh, but yeah, I don't know that I ever like fully switched sides or whatever, like you were saying. It's it's interesting to me because like you but you've see... seen it a few more times. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I just saw it for the first time, and so it's a pretty wild ride. And I was just kind of <laughs> holding on at first. You know what I mean? So, what were your initial thoughts though, like on the movie in general? Like, do you think it's a Citizen Kane of horror? Fi- it's not really a horror film. It's more of like an odd cult. I one hundred percent understand the hype. Mm-hmm. I feel like the last like ten minutes. Yeah. Maybe 15 minutes. Like, I feel like the last 10 minutes of that movie was perfect. And I feel like there there was something in the movie that you I hadn't seen before. Mm-hmm. And I feel like especially me living in this time period and still being able to say that. Like, there were some things I right. saw in this really old movie that I was like, man, that is a pretty, like amazing kind of like when they first show the wicker man like i'll never forget that shot yeah and i feel like that was a really iconic moment and in that moment i really understood like oh that's like there is this real thing that this really builds up to that's really kind of an achievement just like cinematically it really added up in the end and i i felt like uh so yeah i really enjoyed it basically i had a similar experience the first time i saw it i got the first time I watched this was back in the old Netflix days when they would mail you a movie. So yeah. I didn't have the box of it. I just had the you know DVD that said Wicker Man. I didn't read it. I just put it in. And so like halfway through, I'm like, is he the Wicker Man? He's like frail and he's going to break down. Is it, you know, uh, an analogy? No, no concept. Right. Either. And then once they bring him up the hill and show him the Wicker Man and shove him in it and light it on fire and he's yeah. just screaming, Jesus Christ, no. Yeah. You're just like, damn, like this is this is pretty well. For nineteen seventy three, like this was pretty out there and but pretty even wild. For now, like, uh in the context of just seeing it as a person who's seen so many different horror movies that have come along since then yeah. and you think would have evolved the genre more, there was still something about it that was super rewarding and I think, yeah, that last ten minutes, because um, in the beginning, the first like thirty minutes they're it pulls a little you odd. in, but it's it's odd. Yeah, it's for sure odd. And you're like, what the fuck is going on there? Like, what <laughs> what are they going for? And I don't just mean like story wise, like thematically. I was like, what is what are they really trying to say? Or like, what is this all yeah. about? But then in the last ten minutes, when they sh- do the big reveal, and the thing is, I know what's going to happen, and still I felt that way. I was like, damn, that like when they first show it, just like the image of it i was like man that's so sick and then like (laughs) they they bring him up there and just like you're saying it's it's obviously super horrific and so he's screaming for his life he's like you know begging to his god and like the whole thing is very intense and so it really builds um and there's a a definite reward to it yeah what would you like what would you give this man i really love this movie um so rewatching it, I guess the way that we watched it was kind of odd too, because we were like hanging out at the pool and drinking, and we were like with uh, we were with our our lady friends, and then we I think we ate pizza and we were watching it. <laughs> Just so chilling. we were like kind of partying and then put it on, so it was kind of like an odd like uh, thing to put on in that but in you've that seen mode. It but a handful of times, I still love it. Uh, I would totally recommend this to anybody that's like a diehard horror. Fan, and I would, I would recommend give it, it to like anyone a, who likes movies. Yeah, I would give it like a 4.5. I think it's really solid, and it's like one of the first to kind of like touch on that cult, like 
Yeah, and I want to get into this more because there's a lot to unpack there. Like I feel like the distinction between his Christian upbringing and religious values and the values of the town, that's like really the center at what makes the movie the most as interesting as it is. Right. Their belief is that by sacrificing him, they are saving their... They have pagan gods, basically. Yeah, they're saving their society. He is the sacrifice, right? Because so their the crops season's... failed so miserably the year before that right. they were like, our way of life is like not going to be preserved if we don't like sacrifice Give, give the you. gods a human, a <laughs> yeah. human, right? So they, they use Sergeant Howie to, to fill that role. So what they're doing is completely justified in their... In culture. there, yeah, and t- it's not even just justified; it's the right thing to do. Right, and the idea overall that the movie proposes, and that's what I was really trying to say the whole time, is like that's what it does a good job of is making you think, like, well, yeah, like you just grow up in a place, you're born in a place, and you grow up with the values that generally that your parents have, right, and whatever their worldview is, whether you're Jewish or Buddhist or Christian or whatever. It's just a product of your environment, you know? And so ultimately it makes you think like, well, who is right or wrong? Is there any right or wrong? Or are we all just participating? You know what I mean? Yeah. And um, yeah, I think that's a pretty significant question to ask and make that that kind of movie, you know? Like that's such a interesting thing to me that it could be that kind of a movie that's so brutal in the end and co- so excessive and kind of insane and then like but still but like poetic and but it's ultimately about that you know yeah so i would say four and a half for sure and i've just seen it once and like you were saying we were partying i was probably a little drunk <laughs> um but it was a lot of fun and not just that it was more than just fun it, it was thought provoking i've thought about it since i would definitely watch it again yeah and i would definitely say go see this one and the same cannot be said for the boom, boom. <laughs> the travesty that is the um, the 2006 Nicolas Cage Wicker Man dedicated which, to Johnny Ramone. <laughs> yeah, I always forget that when I see that when I uh, watch which it, which just is another big ask. It's like it's why? it's a shame because I think this is the more commonly known Wicker Man. I think most people know Wicker Man from the crazy Nicolas Cage memes and like not the bees. Yeah, that was my only it, familiarity with the whole. So yeah, Thing it gives kinda. it gives like the the Wicker Man namesake like this negative connotation. You know, it'd be like if you only watched uh, Freddy versus Jason, and you're like, "Well, Nightmare on Elm Street's right. stupid." Right. It doesn't. But the original one was good. You know, right. it's the same kind of thing. Well, let's but, set this uh, one up. I guess it's the same general concept, but there is some interesting. There are some interesting differences. For whatever reason, in the American version of this film. Basically, Sergeant... What's his name? Sergeant Howie? His name was Sergeant Howie in the original one. Okay, so Sergeant Howie in the original, he has no relationship to the missing girl. Right. He's just a do-gooder kind of guy who's, like, committed to the idea that he's going to solve this crime. Yeah. And so that says more about his character. He has no attachment. Right. He's going because he thinks it's the right thing to do, which ultimately drives him to do all these participate in all these other ways right yeah it makes his character stronger yeah it makes it more rich and like that that's completely absent from the 2006 version of the movie basically the main distinction is that he has a relationship with the woman who's writing him about the missing girl right where sergeant howie in the original is just a stranger he's he's committed to do this task yeah nick cage has a thread and i think it's funny that the american 
producers thought that it was like we got to spell this out a little bit more for them you know like why would he even go you know like what would he even go? And it's like who cares yeah like why would he go if you weren't like uh invested somehow like oh she's fa- she's family you know it's oh just, it's his daughter yeah you know? it's like come on man it's like it's just one of those completely unnecessary things and it's actually to the detriment of the movie it, it makes it mean less yeah, it's beating you over the head with, like, Nicolas Cage has to go find his daughter. Right. And the original one, it's just a guy who's fulfilling his duty as, an, as a cop. Which actually means so much more to the story, though, because it's his values, it's his morals, it's the things that make him different from uh, the townspeople that kind of drive his interest in them and ultimately become his undoing. Yeah. Whereas this version, I just feel like... They dumbed down for this audience, which I just don't. It's like, are we just inherently dumber that like are you? I'm glad. I'm really glad you brought that up. Film counterparts for American movies, like the American version, is just like dumber. You know? Yeah. It wasn't like it was actually kind of the same kind of movie. It was like it, it had certain things that made me feel the same way, which I bet is probably what they were going for. Like. Was it kind of funny at times? It was definitely absurdist. Like, what kind of... You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. what kind of movie are they trying to make? It it pulls you in a little bit with that, because I also love Nick Cage. And I think, like, when he fully commits to anything, I'm always just... I'm ready to watch it, you know? So, like, I think he did a good job with... I didn't know what to make of it, really, and I think that was the idea. I don't think that they were just, like... You know what I'm saying? I think there was some yeah. element of like, this is going to be weird, and is it going to be comedic? Is it going to be... And I feel like the original had some of that too. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's just played differently because this and, is like And much like less, a, you know, obviously like this is a terrible end result. But and like, it's so Americanized. Things, it's so like, I don't know. It's, it's almost like they put the script into Google Translate and they wanted to put it into like Hollywood. The cheapest version. Right. And so they're like... you. Like cop that's bad on his luck finds out that his daughter's missing. Oh, he's popping pills. He's a problem cop. He's Nick. He's unhinged. Nick Cage. He's yeah. going wild. Like you know, like it's just so goofy. And... Yeah. Well, it, I think the, one of the other things because we just watched this one um, was that it looked awful. Yeah. The we were talking about, and I we're not directors of photography. No, we're not. We have no critical background in this. We didn't yeah. go to college for you know film or something like that. I think we have a unique perspective just because we see a good amount of movies. But I think even we, you you were right away like, why would it be lit like that when it's like dark out? Yeah, the lighting was terrible. <laughs> like the shots were, ter- the angles. Well, that specific scene was like at a graveyard at night. And like one of the graves was backlit like a spotlight. And it's like, yeah. uh, like what are we looking at? Because it, it was this, sneaking around. It was in this, a, yeah. In a... <laughs> like moment between pitch black in the middle of the night and also like as bright as the sun spotlight on the back of this. It was just didn't make any sense. And it was, it looked like kind of a, like a made for TV movie or something. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. Whereas the first one is so cinematic, you know, right with minimal sets, but the sets seem organic for that story. You and know, the photography, they... just the way that it's framed, it seems right. more artistic. You know, yeah, yeah. this was a, literally to me felt like the cheapest version of, I do think what they did if they did anything well at all, they did give me a similar, uh, just somehow the absurdist element of Nicholas. <laughs> I mean, like, yeah, Nicholas Cage in this movie gave me somehow like, and then in the end when he's just like, oh god, like, <laughs> like not that, the bees. <laughs> that did give me some kind of a similar <laughs> feeling. Like, it didn't leave me with the awe or like 
the questions, you know? Right. But it did. It's like they sucked all the philosophy out and they only kept the images. So it's like. But it's, something about it still, even superficially, made me feel kind of the same way. Yeah, I, I very see, surface level. Yeah, yeah very, of course. Very of course. It's level. not good by any means. But I. I, I fucking love Nick Cage. So, like, it <laughs> there, pulled me through because there was definitely a time when we were watching it where I was like, damn, this thing's still yeah, going. But in, but in, in the like end, the it was kind of rewarding because Nick Cage just goes full Nick Cage. Right. So this movie teeters on, like, bad, like, like soap opera bad, but then so bad it's good at yeah. some points. Yeah. Like, where Nicolas Cage is, like, drop kicking like a girl <laughs> up against a wall and he's in a bear suit and he just like decks someone just bah! just like runs up and decks someone in the face you're like, like man this is like th- this is full <laughs> nick cage you know there was that scene where he's wearing the full bear costume eventually he's just down to the the bear shoes it's like bear booties yeah but like <laughs> he's wearing the full bear costume he kind of like jogs out of the woods and joins the group like just that scene to me like made me laugh out loud it's like what the fuck is going on in this movie but then like when he he kind of faked left and then right and then slammed that girl on the face like you were saying i was just like what is this you know like it's some shit you couldn't even make at this you know yeah, day and age so it's just like what am i looking at and part of that was kind of i don't know it was just insane enough to be like I got to keep watching, you know? Yeah, like the last the 20 minutes are, are, are fun. Yeah, they were fun. That's the thing. It was so bad it was good in the end. Right. But it's still not good. It's it's a terrible movie. But, yeah. But it was in the end. That little bit was... <laughs> not the beat! <laughs> well, let's talk about that. So we watched this movie on HBO now. Yeah. So if you want to see 2006... Nick Cage, <laughs> the Wicker Man. If you want to join whatever, in the fun for whatever reason, um, it's on there. But it's they cut out the best part of the entire movie. Yeah, I think there's two different. So there's an uncut version and like a theatrical release version, or like an R rating, which they do sometimes for horror movies. You know, for like the um, Friday the Thirteenth movies and stuff like that. Right. But they cut like literally the best part of, of the, the entire, entire movie. movie out and. By today's standards, it's not even that gruesome because Midsommar was way more brutal than like anything that happened to Nick Cage. And, right, but uh, it wasn't gruesome at all. I mean, you missed the bees. Like the, that's the that's the whole point of of, of this Wicker Man is yeah. seeing Nick Cage's head covered in CGI bees. <laughs> well, the strangest thing was the cut of it, and it made it feel so empty in the end. Yeah, was that like. They kept the, the audio. audio was kept in. Yeah. And so you hear him screaming like, this is murder. What you're doing is murder. Like You bitches. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, it won't bring your fucking honey back. And she's like, but I know it will. And so there's this real moment where they clash. Right. Finally, after all this fucking beating around the bush, he has his real moral stand he's like this is fucking crazy like you're killing me and it's i not don't believe ha- in your gods right or whatever you know same kind of thing that they do so perfectly in the original is right. just kind of bastardized and made horrible here but it's made even more it's horrible it's made even more <laughs> horrible though because it's just fucking audio yeah i mean we had to and watch it on youtube after and when we when I saw it on YouTube, the very first thing I said was like, "Wow, they cut the whole f- the best fucking scene out of the whole yeah. movie." They I actually made you. I was like, "Before we do this, like, watch not the bees. You know, you have to see that." And I've that's seen iconic. that as just a meme, you know. But actually seeing it after the movie, it yeah, it just made me feel like they just 
neutered the movie. Yeah. You know, it yeah. was like, why did you take out the juiciest bit of the whole movie? And it's not even excessive. It's like a torture scene, which I know, I mean, it's definitely not for everybody. Right. But it's like, it's been done. And especially by 2006 standards, yeah, like, it's not like it was made in 1980 stuff. or something like that. So right. it's like they only broke his legs even. And then they had him basically stung by some bees. Uh, they put which, bees on his face. <laughs> which was kind of a thread throughout the thing. I don't know. I, I would say, what would I give this? Um, I don't know. I'd give this like, I think it gets a bad rap because I I give this I wouldn't go as low I definitely wouldn't give it a zero I would go higher than a half I might go as high as one point five yeah I would say it's like I'll fun give it, bad I'll give it a one point five because it was in the end it was kind of fun even though you have to watch the unrated version if I had known we were watching like the version with that scene cut out of it, I wouldn't have watched it. I didn't know that that's what yeah, it was going to be. Yeah, I had forgotten I almost assume that with HBO, it's going to be like the most provocative version yeah. because they don't have any like standards as Censors. far as that goes, it yeah. seems. like They are willing to put out a lot of content, so I didn't expect that. But yeah, I would s- still, even the version we saw, I'd say it was, it was worth... Yeah. <laughs> it's a little bit of punishment if you're into that, and then also in the end it was kind of uh, funny. Yeah. Or whatever. Yeah. It was entertaining. And Nick Cage, if you if you like Nick Cage, I think, you know, throw it on if you're falling asleep and you just want to, like, throw, you know, throw some chaos into your life. I don't know. <laughs> well, we were talking I'd about... i one and a half. One and a half, I think, is fair. And we were talking about when we were watching it just how crazy of a character, like, in real life Nick Cage is. I like, fucking love Nick Cage. Like, he showed up to the premiere of Mandy, which was, like, my favorite movie of last year. Yeah, He incredible. showed up wearing, like, a gold leather jacket or something with, like, oh, no, no, it was, like, a red leather jacket <laughs> with gold sunglasses at not, at a nighttime premiere with, like, a wife beater on under and, like, yeah, skin-tight he, jeans. And he's, like, in his 50s. He's had he's some just, incredible like, a goofy, looks. like, out there, just crazy guy but he has this energy that's just this crazy unhinged like almost psychotic energy that's like so fun to watch on the screen but you know and I think what's so great about it is I think he's in on the joke like with Bad Lieutenant or with this I think he knows what it is and I think he like Mandy to me it's so funny you bring that up because it's kind of the the uh, the realization of what this kind of movie could have been like for Nick Cage yeah. if the director had some vision and like had an idea of how far to push it you right. know what i mean cuz they didn't really push very far they kind of let him do the pushing whereas mandy like it's an equal uh, yeah they you know focused what I mean? it's an him equal in. effort because he goes so unhinged as he does in this movie even more so but then the f- the filmography and like how brutal it is and how it just zooms in on him like screaming and grieving <laughs> for like 10 minutes and he's just barbed wire around his mouth just, <laughs> but it's so moving you know it actually does something to you it like when you see that movie a couple times it really yeah. sinks in and you're like damn like I really do feel something like even in the end when he just crushes that guy's skull you know <laughs> it's like there's something really rewarding about it and I feel like this movie, he did his best, you know, but yeah. it's just not a good movie. And so it's like he, it's cool to see something He's like Mandy the because best it's part the realization of, of something like this that's completely unhinged, but actually really pays off. Yeah, and I think it's it is important to say like Nicolas Cage is the only reason that this like remake is watchable. Is at all. Wa- yeah, yeah. Because if they would have put like 
I don't know, like Paul Rudd and just any <laughs> like regular anybody, guy. Anybody. It would have just been dumb as hell. Like yeah. it would have been stupid. He um, he had the movie on his back. Yeah, for sure. I would probably agree with you. Maybe two star. I would elevate it to two just because yeah. that end sequence is almost like iconic and like bad movie <laughs> and the bad <laughs> movie like. Uh, I mean, you know me. I'm always gonna go low. So <laughs> one and a half, I think, is like I'm. You know, would I recommend it? tradition in a traditional way like no but ironically or but if like, you're talking if you, to your boys or something yeah, you're like you dude you just, should watch if you want to just sometimes we watch movies that we know are bad and it's On just kind of, yeah so it's like if you want to get out there uh, yeah maybe <laughs> so which brings us around to the whole reason we're doing this <laughs> <laughs> well also fucking 1973 wicker man was was excellent so i'm glad yeah. i'm glad that we took the time and sometimes we got to go back you know? Right, right. Um, but anyway, so Midsummer, yeah, you you kind of brought this all around because you felt like this movie was, and I can totally see it now. It's was inspired directly, I think, and definitely in indirect ways. And and Ari Aster does a really masterful job of like keeping it really Classy. tasteful. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, I can see it now. So why don't you set it, set that set all up, because, Midsummer? Yeah. Okay, so uh, Midsummer is we actually did a review on this already. Yeah, but so uh, go back and see that. But yeah, like, go back and check out our other review. But Midsummer is about a, a grieving girl named Danny. Her family kind of is there's some uh, horrific shit that happens to their family. right this terrible tragedy, and she's right. kind of getting over it and grieving. Uh, her boyfriend Christian is going on a trip to Sweden with his friends, and she kind of tags along to kind of separate herself from the grief. And in doing so, she's kind of exposed to this new culture that she doesn't fully understand. And then she kind of exposes herself to... All, all manner of things. Right, right. Whatever goes on in this town. Yeah. Which is very comparable to... Let's kind of just discard 2006 Wicker Man for now. It's like, right. go see that if you want to have We that just kind watched of time. it because we had to. <laughs> right. And it was, <laughs> it was fun. And even funny at times. But like, so... I feel like you're absolutely right that this movie takes a lot from The Wicker Man. Right. Because, like we were saying in the beginning, there is this idea that this movie is more uh, art- articulate almost. I guess it's just a more like modern version. It's a more like they've seen The Wicker Man and now they get to build on that. You know what I mean? Right, right. Where The Wicker s- Man really defines what this kind of movie means. This movie now gets has observed that, and then they're kind of trying to say something slightly different but very comparable, right? Yeah, it's like when Jimi Hendrix covered All Along the Watchtower, and he used the same lyrics, but the song sounds totally different. It's his interpretation, right. and this has solos, and you know, it's it looks way different, sounds different, but it's still it kind of based on that. What Midsummer does to me is it kind of takes this very focused picture of... The Wicker Man is about this one man, this Sergeant Howie guy, yeah. and his commitment to his religious beliefs and his like position in society, in society as he observes it. And these people are outside of that, and like that's what kind of drives him. Yeah. But like this movie, to me, is more broad in scope. It's like this is about culture generally, yeah. and how we observe culture, and in. Uh, the states, for instance, like one of the Swedes in the movie makes a point to say after the. So you probably already seen this at this point. If not, spoiler alert. There's this like dystopia scene or whatever. It's it's like a suicide scene. Right. 
And the Americans are horrified. This woman jumps straight off the cliff and just fucking just slams her head head and breaks her neck. And they're just horrified. And they're like, oh, my God, like, we got to get out of here. And they're like, look, she knew what she was doing. She took full ownership of her life. And to us, it's much more horrifying, the idea that she might end up incapacitated in like an old folks home right where she's being cared for by people who are not her family or whatever it's like she gets to take her life into her own hands she knew what she was doing and this is beautiful to us right and like it is what it is kind of a thing and and so what i that's what i liked about midsummer was that ari aster does a really good job and he an even better job in hereditary of taking these really kind of traditional and i just mean traditional in that they've been done before in horror whatever he'll take a kind of a thing that's been done and then he'll kind of frame it in a way that still feels fresh and like necessary like it feels vital somehow even though you've seen the wicker man i would say fucking absolutely go see midsummer because it's like a different take like you were saying on a similar approach right and the way that he frames it man with like all the you know all the background artwork and and everything like it's it is kind of like an homage to Wicker Man. It is kind of a throwback I think you're to 100% that right. general idea. But Ari Aster is also from the past two movies that he's directed. He seems like a very focused and very creative director. He's doing right. it his own way. He's not going to beat by beat steal the story from something else. No. Even if he's inspired by it, he's going to do it his own way. And yes, there's a lot of differences between this and The Wicker Man. But there are those similarities, um, the pictures of right. the May Queen and Wick or uh, The Maypole and The May Queen in um Midsummer and then the pictures of the girl from the ceremony in both versions of the Wicker Man. Right, the crops with the crops. So basically like it kind of shot for shot, like scene for scene kind of ideas, you know? Like right. different I mean he approached it in a totally different way, but like the framing is similar, you know, in the story and just kind of introducing this idea that like, maybe this is some foreshadowing, you know? Right. And this is the image we're going to use to use that to, to kind of facilitate that. Well, even so some of those things are the same, but, but like, yeah, I think they each have their own individual merit. And what I liked about Midsummer is I, I think it did take kind of a little bit more of a broad approach. And the questions that I ask are very similar, but they are slightly different in the end, you know? Yeah, I Like, think... what this movie had to say was just slightly different. It's said it in a similar way. Like, there's the bear costume, and there's all this yeah. uh, imagery of, like, cult, small-town, inbreeding kind of a society and what that looks like and then how these people think we're the strange ones, you know? And the, so some of that is very similar, but... but right, instead it, of... And instead of having, like, Sergeant Howie, who's, like, a devout catholic you have an american man named christian it's like the same sort of idea right but he's but it's just a, played but he's a um philosophy major no or? he's a um our okay. uh anthropology okay they're anthropology, anthropology majors major. he and his friend but right. yeah it's so funny because he's not the exact perfect christian male kind of participant but he he his name is christian and he actually is an anthropology major which just broadens the scope of the movie and it makes it more like the whole because the questions they're asking the whole movie are about culture because right. that's what anthropology is about and so it may it frames it just differently enough you know what i mean yeah but it's important to note that too because even though um i think the character what is his name he's the he's the friend that that 
He's like the best friend, the William Jackson Harper character. Right. Um, Seth or something. I can't remember. But anyway, <laughs> yeah. he is an anthropology major, and he's trying to understand their culture, but his way of going about it is not the right way, right? Like Neither he's po- one of them. There's yeah, actually two poking... opportunities for them to get it right, and both of them are kind of opportunistic and, and are trying to almost exploit this. Right, in like an arrogant way, right. and that's how they kind of meet their demise. Which is, is so comparable to... Wicker Man. Man. It's right. like which I love and yeah, I think it was it was actually really cool to do this because it was it was cool to see the kind of root concept of an idea and then a modern interpretation but in a really tasteful way. Yeah. Because before we started rolling, we were talking about how just the state of movie making and just art in general is like kind of stale because like there's lots and lots of remakes. Like there's more remakes uh, offered up every new day. New ideas, you know. Even. Every day there's like, oh, it's the new phase of like the Disney universe where it's just live action remakes yeah. of like these classic films. Or they just announced that last week. It, Blade oh Three God. or whatever else Disney owns, which is like everything now, kind of. So it's like, right? <laughs> you know, it's like yeah. they own a lot of stuff. So it's like, there's there's so few of these kinds of movies where a guy gets it right. Like, yeah. and if it's, it's not a perfect movie cause it still isn't, you know, like I felt that way the first time I saw it, uh, I need to see it again. But like, I feel like in, in thinking about it more, if I gave it a three and a half or four, I might actually take it up to four because I do feel like it was way better than it was bad. Yeah. And there are some images that were really actually pretty profound in there and I think it had a lot to say, and it stuck with me in a way that um, was comparable to the original Wicker Man, and I still think that's kind of just a perfect version of a similar kind, or more perfect version of a similar kind of movie. Right. But I would definitely say, go see Midsummer. And I think it's important to note, too, like, if you, if there's something that, that you kind of like, right, and you kind of sit on it, I do this a lot with albums, and sometimes with movies, but more with music. If there's an idea that's sort of interesting to you and it was sticks to you and sticks in your head and the more you kind of go over it, the more you kind of understand why it you're gravitating towards it, there's something about that idea, right, that's potent, that's yeah. strong. And I feel like Ari Aster, maybe with this movie, didn't come out of the gate as strong as Hereditary, which right. is fine, you know? Um, we talked about like kind of M. Night Shyamalan and how like Unbreakable wasn't as strong as uh, Sixth Sense when it came out. I think he wanted but it's departure. A, same, right? Same it's thing. but I feel like this is almost similar to Unbreakable in the in the sense that it's like a cult thing. Well, and there's intent. it's about a cult, but it's like a kind of cult movie in the sense that like people are going <laughs> to be talking about this ten years from now. Right? They're going to be remembering it. People that are diehard horror fans are still going to dig it up and still going to rewatch it. And I think it's going to still be part of the conversation of like right. the horror genre. Of this by time then. period. Right. And you know what's cool about this movie too, and I think what's cool about Ari Aster's films in general, is that they do seem to have some kind of crossover appeal. And it's like, because I, I was talking to a girl online recently who I used to work with who I just don't get the impression that she might she might not go see a ton of movies but this was a movie she saw and it's like an art movie so it's like yeah. so cool that he has the ability to break through uh into a market for not just like popcorn movie guys like me and you who really like to go to the theater but like people who just go see horror movies generally sometimes yeah like 
that is cool to observe. And I would say absolutely go see it. And yeah, like if I gave it three and a half the first time, I might even go so high as four. And I really need to see it again to say definitively. Yeah, I want to see it while it's in theaters. I want to see it big screen and loud, like while it's still out. Right. Because I know I'll probably watch it again when it comes out, but I want to see it big, big and loud. My mom went and saw Midsommar. My (laughs) sister went and saw it. Isn't that crazy? That's what I'm saying. Like those are, would you imagine your mom might go see Midsommar? You know, it's like, not really. And when someone, (laughs) when someone says like, oh, my mom went and saw that, it's like, Damn. Damn. Yeah, it's like that really broke through. Like, does your mom go see a, a lot of horror movies generally, or not at the theater? Sometimes she'll watch them at home. Like, she likes the classic. Does she ones. go to the movies generally? She saw. I think she saw the Elton John movie, and uh, she went and saw know. Midsummer. Yeah. You know what I mean? It has a crossover. There's in, a crossover yeah, there in between the, in the casual w- moviegoers and guys like me and you who just. We went to go see it off the strength of his first movie, and we knew who directed it and that kind of thing. Right. Like, whereas a lot of people just go see it because they're like, oh, I heard that was fucking crazy. You know what I mean? <laughs> Which is really but cool. I, I, I like that in the era that we're in, in the Disney conglomerate, you know, big corporate-owned It's a fucking... tasteful reimagining of something. It's a yeah. new idea with uh, something familiar. Yeah, with a little nod or a little homage to something that's classic. Even the Wicker Man, the 1973 movie, there's uh, all kind of short stories and stuff. I think there's one that's called uh, The Lottery that's about, like, uh, a town. We read it in college, yeah, right? Yeah. It's a reference to something else. Yeah, where they older. all grab a stone and the person it. that grabs, yeah, yeah. like, the black stone or whatever is a sacrifice and they yeah. all stone him to death and yeah. it's for the crop. I'm pretty sure we read that in school. Um, but, yeah, 100%. Um, I mean, it's the idea has been there, right? It's it doesn't matter if if you thought of it first or someone else. It's your interpretation. How did you handle that material, right? Which hopefully goes to say, fuck, man. Like eventually there is a fatigue, and I'm fatigued with the reimaginings and the you know the here's a new shot guy. by shot remake. Of yeah, just whatever. like here's a new here's the new blade. Here's the new this, here's the new that. And I actually love Mahershala Ali and I'll probably actually go see that just cause I love him so much that I'm interested to kind of see what he does with that character. Yeah. It's just the first thing I thought of that. Like, Oh, here's a new version of it. You know, it's like yeah. and, and Spider-Man and however many of those have been, you know, there've been like three different, I've, <laughs> in Batman, my lifetime, there's yeah. going to be a new Batman now. Like there's, there's How many more times? ideas out there than just a guy in a costume that fights people. Like, Well, they- not even just that. It's like there's a way. What this shows is if you can take the most, the most like niche kind of movie, right, which mm-hmm. is like The Wicker Man 1973, and you could reimagine that in a way that's tasteful and still impactful with audiences, as Midsommar has done, then it shows that you don't need to make whatever. You don't need to make like Batman 12. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> because you could just create something that's comparable yeah. and maybe, ha- maybe has like a gothic element or a darker element to the superhero vibe, which is what Batman does really well. Yeah. But call it something different. Or and like just take the strengths of that and maybe try to do your own thing with it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's like the necessity to continue to rebrand and reproduct stuff. Just familiarized uh, properties that we've already seen it's, over and over it's again. Tired. It's tired. Yeah. It's tired. And I do think, I mean, I guess, well, Lion King is do- re- doing really well right now. So I don't Financially. know. Financially. Maybe it's not tired. Maybe some people just love this shit. It's the number they one film in the again. world. I did see Lion King, though, and real quick. 
Seth Rogen was born <laughs> to play a warthog. He did not right. <laughs> yeah. How, I mean, so how was it? Just it was okay. Sound off. I, I do. I love Childish Gambino. I love him like, too. Like I, I love him I as an actor. Love I love Beyonce, him as a but like, how musician. did it go overall? Uh, it was okay. It wasn't great, but um, it was stronger than um. Uh, what was the other? It was stronger than Beauty and the Beast. It was stronger than Aladdin. I go see all those movies just. To, I didn't see just those. To see them, but the last one that I saw that was any good was The Lion King, and that one was good. You saw this one? Oh no no! You, uh, Jungle, Book, Jungle, Jungle Book. Book. Um, that one was good, but John Favreau is the same same, he's director. The same director. Yeah. Um, it was. Yeah, I heard this one wasn't any good. No, I mean it's not terrible, but it just wasn't like. What, Lion, would, you, the, the, what would you say? The original five? Lion King is a perfect film. Yeah. Like trying to remake it is like trying to. <laughs> you know, recover Abbey Road and say, Why? like, yeah, mine's as good as the original. Yeah, you know, it's, it's just not going to happen. So what did you think? What would you give it? Would you tell people to go <sighs> see it, or is it worth it? Yeah, like three stars. <laughs> really? It was a little bit better, better than, than average. It was it's like, I like all the players involved, <laughs> yeah. right? Uh, it's amazing to me that James Earl Jones is even still around. He's and the same even, character, right? Yeah, but the, just that he's doing stuff at, like, 89 like years too. old or whatever, like, that's that's shocking but i guess i should just go see it it's just not like it's it's like i mean i just i'm not interested like it's like you said i've seen the lion king i grew up with it i saw great. it multiple times i loved it it's very moving and it's like what i guess what do i need to see this like cgi interpretation for if i yeah. have this perfect thing to draw from yeah, it's like going to a bar and there's a cover band, right? <laughs> and they're like, we're the Pink Floyd cover band. You're like, man, I love Pink but Floyd. But if you're just drunk you're like, enough, you're like, eh, these you guys know. are all right. They're okay. <laughs> yeah. I know this song. Yeah. You know, it's the same kind of <laughs> kind of mentality, I think. It's just like the other <laughs> version, just different, not as good. <laughs> but a couple drinks in, you're like, eh, it sounds pretty good. Yeah, whatever. So, <laughs> yeah, I get that. Before we go, I want to say, so we're about to do Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yes. So as we drop this, hopefully we drop this uh, tomorrow, Friday. Um, yeah, stay tuned for that because I'm looking forward to that. Uh, Tarantino's ninth movie. We're think, both pretty huge Tarantino fans. I've seen I've, every one of his movies. I have too. So um, we're probably going to touch a little bit on- Love uh, all of his movies. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I think this is going to be like one of the last ones. I think he said somewhere in his... He's doing in, 10. Yeah, I think he he always kind of playing on that. So that's kind of what's keeping my interest peaked is like, man, I'm wondering because he's kind of nearing the edge. It's like, what what is he going to... How is he going to round this thing out? And I heard that... Like, I like the idea it's about a washed up kind of film guy too. You know yeah. what I mean? He Like, I love in the preview, Leonardo DiCaprio is like, well, it's new official, buddy. <laughs> like, I'm washed up. I'm old news or something like that. And it's like, I love that. And just like, I can't wait to see DiCaprio and Brad, and Brad Pitt, Pitt together. And Al Pacino. And there's yeah. so many people in this movie. Margot Robbie. There's... It's, it's incredible. Yeah, I fucking love Margot Robbie yeah. too. She's incredible. But like, to me, it's just, it's incredible. I mean, it's amazing to see Tarantino's at this point in his career where he can just pull anyone from anywhere and everyone's going to say yes. It's like, yeah. dude, you are the best of your time, you know? Like you're you're that guy for your time period. Like so yeah, just to be able to pull all those characters into one film, you know, like to yeah. pull all these actors. But yeah, so stick around for that. Um anything else? I think we got it. No, I th I think we're good. <laughs> I think we're good. All right, this is John. <laughs> this is Sean. And this is Movie Night with John and Sean. Beep, beep. Beep, beep. Beep, beep. Beep, beep. Beep, beep.